Thanks for listening to the Calvary Tabernacle Young Adults Podcast. We pray that this lesson would be a blessing to you. Set. You can be seated, scrambling back there to get me started. I get the fun task of starting a new series. I, my wife and I are delighted. We're the oldest people in the room, I'm sure. At least I am. But we are the oldest people in the room. And I just want to thank the team that we work with. These are having sit in lots of meetings that you guys don't have to be a part of. The passion, the heart they have for finding out what you need to know. And building series is a wonderful thing. So I get to introduce a series. This is a worldview series. A I think the framework may be, can you live it or something like that? And I will let somebody else get the task of that. But I get to have the fun introductory lesson. And I get to teach on one of my favorite subjects, which is dangerous, because I could get really animated and go for hours. Turn to your neighbor and say, pray. You might pray for the rapture just to get out here. All right, so I'm going to go to two of my favorite portions of scriptures. The first one is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Another proverb reads this way, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the holy is understanding. Now, what in the world is that about? It's about the fear of the Lord. Well, duh, Brother Kilman, does that mean I need to be afraid of God? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's true that God is awesome. God is powerful. But God is not waiting with a 10-pound sledgehammer for every time you step out of line, Joel, just waiting. Just waiting to crack the whip on you. What that means is something beautiful. It means that if you're in a covenantal relationship with God, which is if you've listened to me for a little while, this is for maybe some of our visitors to understand. The fear of the Lord, the King James Version does something beautiful here. That's all caps. That's the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. So the fear of not Elohim, or the hussy God most powerful, God that I should be in awe of, but the fear of the Lord, the fear of the God that I'm in a relationship with that no one else is, that insider-outsider language. If you have a walk with God, there are things that belong to you and no one else. Sweet little lady over there I get to be married to this December for years is wonderful. And I will do whatever I can for you. I've talked with many of you. I look forward to meeting some of you that I haven't met yet. And I love talking about the word of God and the will of God and the purpose of God. And I will do many things for you to help you in any way that I can. I will advocate for you. I will help you, strengthen you. But I will bankrupt myself for that lady over there because I'm in a relationship with her that's unique. That's what the Bible is declaring, that the fear of the Lord, it's not being afraid of God in the sense of terrified. It's something, Brother Herb's like this. It's, I'm afraid to operate my life outside of God's wisdom. Why? Because the God that knows me, that knows all of existence, has given me revelation. At the end of the day, that means I know how to cooperate with life because the creator of life has given me wisdom on how to do that. So Isaac, that means that I can be smarter than what I'm working with. Turn to your neighbor and say, Maybe you're not working with much. What does that mean, Brother Kilman? It means you don't have to come up with every idea in life. You're not smart enough. And you can't think deeply enough. And by the way, you know, you don't have that much time. I just go out and turn my car on. It's nice. I don't have to think about a combustion, a gasoline-powered engine. I just turn it on. It's wonderful. And so you can't think about every aspect of life. Life's too complicated. It's too intricate. Brother Kilman, then how do I navigate life? It's very simple. God has given you a book with directions about what you should do that will lead to blessings, right? Okay, give me that next slide. So what we're talking about 
is a word. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's just a word. It's just a word. It's called epistemology. All the IVC students groaned. Now, what is epistemology? It's the study of how we acquire knowledge. Because we often fight for our ideas instead of think about them. We will often die for our ideas without critically examining them. We will often tell somebody, don't try to direct my life without thinking about what's directing our life already. And so epistemology is something fundamental to thinking and knowledge and understanding. It's how do you know what you know, and it's going to help us form a worldview. Your epistemology, how do you know what you know? How do you know what you know about God? How do you know what you know about male and female? How do you know what you know about interactions in the world? Well, you're a sociology major, or maybe you're a psychology major. Awesome. Maybe you're an economist. Uh, but Brother Grant, what makes your view of economy actually worthwhile and worth listening to? You have to say the fear of the Lord says there are fundamental ideas, by the way, that you can demonstrate through all sorts of studies today that the word of God is true. I'll try not to get stuck because all the other teachers are going to teach on other subjects and I don't want to rob Brother Herbst of his thunder. When you start talking about things like proofs that the Bible is right in every aspect of life by secular admission, and we're going to see how that would work. All right, now what does that mean? I popped up a picture of it. This is a grid that a mentor gave me a view of this a long time ago. Just mentioned it kind of in passing, and it's been very helpful for me to understand how to approach knowledge from God. Now, what we're talking about is the Christian worldview. We're not arguing for the Bible yet. We already started in a different place. If you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, then you and I need to have a different Bible study. And we can do that, and I would love to do that to show you that this book is different than every other holy book in the world. Uh, that this is the only inerrant, inspired word of God that you can put your trust in. But we're not doing that tonight. Hallelujah. We're going to do some other things. So we're talking about the Christian worldview. Turn to your neighbor and say, Christian. Okay, so that means this is an insider conversation. For sake of this, Mr. Kreese, we're going to say that the Bible is the word of God. Okay, we believe that already. So we're going to start with that. If you don't believe that, we need to have a different Bible study. All right, but we're going to talk about then, what is that picture about? It's what I'm going to call the epistemological stool. A stool is something you rest on. You sit on it, it's stable, hopefully, and you don't do the... Wonderful little struggle and collapse, right? Hopefully, what you're resting all of your life on is stable. That's your theory of knowledge, your epistemology. You have one. Whether you thought about it or not, you have a way to approach life and understanding. The question is, are you doing life well, critically? And more importantly, from a basis of revelation that's higher than your own limited human thinking. Now, I'm just going to try not to get too excited because I could go forever. But I will say this much. You should be afraid to operate any aspect of your life with your own limited human thinking. Why? Because God makes available by revelation and the empowerment of his spirit something better than that, something grander than that, something that gets you beyond the limitations of human thinking. Okay. Right? So what are the legs of the epistemological? So uh, everything we say, Sister Cameron, everything we say about anything regarding life has to start with revelation. Turn to your neighbor say, not yourself. Tell them, not your professor. Tell them, say, not the secular worldview. It has to start rooted in something higher than all of that limited nonsense. And I wish we had time to spend a lot of time there, but I won't. So everything that we say, all of our theory of knowledge is based on the Bible. That's why the Bible's here. I have some wonderful Wesleyan friends, Wesleyan Methodists, and what they will say is you need to put the word of God, Scripture, as a fourth part of the epistemological stool. No, 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 no. No, everything is based on the Bible. The Bible is not one of our sources of revelation. Well, then what do you do with the, all the other things about prayer and have a revelation from God, Brother Kim? And so how do you deal with that? Well, we're going to talk about that. All right, it has to be based on the Bible. 
right? Then we're going to talk about the three legs of the epistemological stool. The first one is rationale. So number one, that's scripture. Number two is the first leg, that's rationale, that's reason. God gave you a brain. Turn to your neighbor and say, he really did. The second one is tradition. We don't have tradition, Brother Kilman. Yes, we do. Anything that's not a direct quotation of revelation is tradition. Every song we sing is tradition. Every Sunday school lesson you've ever heard in your life is tradition. We're against tradition. <laughs> Apostolics have some really wild traditions. Be careful. Like some of them need to go and it's like sacred cows. I'm like, I'm let's have a barbecue and burn that one. Hallelujah. <laughs> But what is that? But you can't do that. You have to go slow. Brother Bowman, you got to be careful. And wonderful people don't know that everything that they've been taught in their tradition might not be based on the Bible. So any tradition, any sermon I preach had better be aligned with the book. Every lesson I teach, like tonight, had better be based on the book. And I'm going to show you that it is. Because if it's not based on the word of God, it's useless to us. So reason. And then spirituality. Everything that we say about life in the spirit or spiritual dynamics is not up to my taco dream. Anybody ever said that? They're like, I have a word for you. And you're like, I don't think so. Why? Because it's in conflict with revelation. Did you know that God has given you a wonderful guide? To, that's why he said, try the spirits, by the spirit to see if they be of God. There's nobody in this room that has to be manipulated by any type of false ideas around spirituality. Why? Because God's given us a book, and it will help you and guide you and protect you and set you free from nonsense and help you with good things. All right, let's look at some verses. We'll go to James chapter 1, verse 5. If you're keeping track, I've highlighted some of these just to show you that we believe in spiritual dynamics, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, we are Pentecostal. James chapter 1, verse 5, the apostle James says it this way, Brother Brandon. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him what? Let him ask of God. Okay, that means God will speak to you. That means in your prayer life, God will speak to you. Particularly, he's talking about suffering in the context of this passage. If you're going through something, you should ask God. Who gives liberally? He says, they give it to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. If you ask things of God, he will help you. I'll give you an example of this, and I have to hurry or my wife will make fun of me in the car. I remember before I was invited to Indiana Bible College to teach, I had a dream. Turn to your neighbor and say, it was a dream. Now, there's a caveat. Brother Hussey, Jeremiah 23, verse 28, the Bible says, the prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word. What does he say? Those are two different things. You have a dream, speak it as a dream. But you ready? If you have the word, you got to speak the word. And that's why you test every dream by what? The word. So I, I remember, you know how you know things in a dream. I was up at the top of a hill and there was this path that went down and there was these big trees and I could kind of see these vast open fields of some type of crop. And in a dream, I just knew that there was an elder minister down there and there were people, Brother Cameron, trying to poison this elder minister's crop. And he's working himself to death, a vast amount of crop. And I'm like, why is anybody helping him? Somebody ought to go help him. And uh, Sister Annie, so I said, in, my, in the dream, I said to myself, well, I know how to help him. I'm gonna go down and help him. And when I rushed down the road, unbeknownst to me, I didn't expect it. There was a large snake coiled up, a huge snake. I mean, it's huge. And it was in the middle of the road. I was not afraid, but I was just surprised because I didn't expect it. And so I looked at it and I just kind of froze. And then when I looked up, there was a limb going across the pathway and there was another one wrapped around the tree and it struck at me. And when it did, this elder minister grabbed it by the head, snapped its head and threw it down and said, don't worry about that. I can take care of that. And sometimes a dream you have to pray 
if you feel like it's from God, you have to pray for interpretation, help from the Lord and revelation, what it means. Sometimes you talk to leadership. God can help your leadership help you understand what that means. Sometimes you don't know until years later and all of a sudden you're in the middle of a situation. And you go, wow, this is what that was. But the Lord gave me the understanding I needed to get from that dream. He said, you know a lot about theology, the Bible and teaching how to do exegetical study, Brother Cameron. He said, but Brother Mooney knows a lot about these spiritual dynamics that you're going to face that you don't know about yet, and you need to play to his experience. And boy, after serving with him at IBC for, you know, 12, 13 years, Brother Herbst, that is absolutely the case. It was wonderful guidance for me. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. So we believe in spiritual things, right? We believe in dreams. Don't you neighbor say, we believe in that? Why? Because it's in the Bible. People had dreams and as long as it doesn't conflict, Brother Bowman, with revelation, I'm okay. Paul says, but God hath revealed them, talking about the deep things of God, unto us how? By his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. There are some things you cannot understand until you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's why Luke 24, 44 and 45, he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you, Jesus, after his resurrection, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus said, I taught you about all of that when I was with you. And then the Bible says he had to give them more. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. What does that mean? It means the apostles who had already spent three and a half years with Jesus in his ministry and in his life. They have been taught by Jesus. They've been reading the Hebrew scripture all their life, and they've been reading them wrong. Jesus had to open their understandings. That means you can serve Jesus a long time in your understanding, and you can walk with him a long time, but Jesus has to open some things up to you. We believe in spiritual understanding. How many of you have been reading the word of God, and all of a sudden, man, God begins to speak to you out of his word, and you're like, or through a, a preaching or a teaching, and you're like, man, I've just been thinking about that wrong in my life, and you've received revelation. Probably better illumination, but we'll leave that alone for another discussion. That's why Jesus says in John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, Nicodemus, and said unto him, Verily, verily, veritas, we get our word verity from there, truth. I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's why you have to be careful listening to people that are not filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Okay, they can know a lot about God, but they can't even see the kingdom according to Jesus. And Jesus answered, and the two verses later, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, again, Nicodemus, except a man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter. They cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. Now, that's important. That means you have to be careful listening to people not filled with the spirit because they're not in it and they can't see it. That's parameters around how you know what you know. Be careful listening to people not filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In spiritual things, they're blind. They can't even see them. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 and 15 the Apostle Paul warns the Corinthian church, it's no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. I had a revelation and an angel appeared to me. Did it disagree with that book? I don't care if it's an angel. If it conflicts with God's revelation, Satan can appear as an angel of light. I'll prove it to you. Muhammad, when you read his authoritative history, the Hadith, he will say, when you begin to study, when the, the angel appeared to him, he said it was Gabriel later. In the beginning, he thought it was a demon spirit. He said, Muhammad, recite. He said, I can't recite. Body slam, you know. Holds him down so he can't breathe. Then he lets him up and says, Muhammad, recite. I can't recite. Body slam again. Hold him down so he can't breathe. Happened three times. Finally, he agreed to recite. He said in, the, in his own diaries, he thought it was a demon spirit. He was right. Or, or Joseph Smith, the angel macaroni. I mean, Maroni. Forgive me, bad body. Terrible. 
But an angel supposedly appeared to Joseph Smith and gave him these tablets and the interpretation of the tablets. And he's writing these Egyptian kind of hieroglyphic symbols down. And when he does, it was like accounts of the dead. It was ridiculous. There's no historical reference whatsoever. So again, you have either a charlatan or something demonic appearing even to Joseph Smith. So we don't believe everyone. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose ends shall be according to his work. The Apostle Paul saying to the church at Corinth, there can be people that call themselves spiritual ministers and have angels show up to them and it's actually Satan. So be careful. Well, how do I do that, Brother Kilman? It's very simple. God gave you revelation. If it conflicts with his revelation, it cannot be of his spirit. The spirit and the word agree. Right, Brother Kilman, they're having spiritual encounters. I believe that. The question you have to decide is this book that's different than every other holy book in the world says there really are spiritual encounters that are demonic and can deceive people. There was a lady called Mary Kay Baxter. Over one million copies sold. She had a vision of a divine revelation of hell. And Jesus supposedly appeared to her in 40 successive nights, Brother Hussey, and gave her revelations of kind of the punishment levels of hell. And people were like, wow. And, you know, they were reading it and, oh, this is so good. And it's like, it doesn't match this because in volume two, she had to correct and cover up all the errors that were biblically proven wrong. So you have her vision too, kind of like some Bibles I've read. All right. So versions of the Bible, like page 151, she said that heaven was filled with baby cherubim singing and kissing the Lord upon his face and his hands and his feet. There are no baby angels, just so you know. Okay, now what are you saying? I'm just saying it was weird. It was out of Dante's Inferno, not the scripture. Okay, and so she sold so many copies, she later on had another divine revelation of, of heaven and sold a bunch more books because us naive Christian people will sign up for the next little person that has a revelation. Most heresy starts with, I got a new revelation. I got an old one. And if it doesn't match this book, you didn't hear from the Lord. You may have heard from something else. It's like, uh, forgive me, I have to deal with this. But there was a wonderful person in many ways, Brother Herbst, quoted from the Passion Translation. What is the Passion Translation? This is a translation in which the translator said that Sister Duffy, he got a revelation from God, or, or an angel named Passion was sent to him, and gave him a revelation of the original Greek and Aramaic that was before the Greek that we have now. So God spoke to him. And so he was able to write his own translation. I heard your neighbor say garbage. It's a great Greek word. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. Deuteronomy 18. How many of you ever had somebody walk up to you and say, I have a word for you? Now, here's the thing. Brother Kilman, are you against that? No. I wish I had time to tell you the stories. I was a backslidden kid sitting on the back pew, hiding on the back pew and middle of my sophomore year, and the guy walked back. I couldn't even tell you, Brother Hussey, that he was used in a word of knowledge, then a word of faith. I didn't even know the categories, but I knew the Lord was speaking to me, and it absolutely helped me through my bitterness and my anger and got me to the altar. That's why I don't believe in fake spirituality. We got to have the real. So, Brother Kilman, how do I know when somebody speaks something to me if it's from the Lord? I'll give you one way. We could go to 13 too, but I'll leave that to you on your own time. Deuteronomy 13 as well as Deuteronomy 18. It says, but the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of the other gods, even that prophet shall what? It's a good thing we're in a New Testament. Some people be getting stoned because of their ministry. And I don't mean the bad kind of stone. I mean like literal. All right. Sorry, that was a bad joke. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken. How many of you want that kind of discernment? That's why God gave us this passage. So you can know when somebody speaks something to you, calls it spiritual, and it's not from God. You don't have to guess. He gave you revelation. 
How do I know, Brother Kilman? It's very simple. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that thing that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. If they say this is going to happen and it doesn't happen, they're a liar. They're a false prophet. Okay, all right. Now, uh, but the prophet hath spoken it what? Presumptuously. Does it mean evil, Brother Bowman? Just means somebody wants to bless you. Sometimes people want to be prophets for profit too, but. Most of the time, I think out of the goodness of people's heart, they say they have a bless me ministry. They would say, oh, Paul's got a thorn in the flesh. Let me speak the word and command it out of you, Brother Cameron. And, and God's like, I love Paul too much to let him be lost. And he's already prayed three times for me to remove it. And I'm not removing it because Paul will be lost. And I'm smarter than you. So if somebody speaks something and it doesn't come to pass, that's called false prophecy. Well, they need to have more faith. You need to have a word from the Lord because the word of the Lord is sure. Don't blame it on the victim that you lied to. Now, I don't want to be too strong here, but when you've been in ministry a little while, Brother Hussey, I've, I've seen the fallout too much. When a false prophet says to a wonderful, wonderful young lady, no death will come out of your womb, and the baby dies. He did not hear from the Lord, and he hurt them. Okay, so don't, don't speak presumptuously. Don't hurt people. Life is real. We believe in the moving of the Spirit, right? But it's got to be based on the word of God. You test the spirits to see if this is really spiritual by those type of parameters in scripture. The second is thinking, rationale. Turn to your neighbor and say, God gave you a brain. He really did. He gave you a brain on purpose. You know, some people are guilty of not using it much. Turn to your neighbor and say, is that you? <laughs> wow, some of y'all getting animated. Let's go. Okay. All right, so 2 Timothy 2.15. Look at what the apostle Paul tells his son in the gospel. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Study. Study the word of God. Don't just read it. Study. You're going to have some wonderful teachers that come in here and talk about a lot of things. The, the greatest subjects facing your generation from a biblical perspective. You should come ready to take notes and at least pay attention a lot. And then maybe even after, grab the podcast and take some notes. Why? Because you need to study to show thyself approved. By the way, thyself, singular. It's not your neighbor job to think for you. It's singular there. Thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Some people ought to be ashamed for the way they talk about life. I'll try not to be too strong on this. We had a wonderful person that I love. I've, I've worked in young adults <laughs> a long time. I am pre-brother and sister Hussey. I'm pre-brother and sister Brzezinski. I'm pre-brother and sister Lopez. I was on the team with the Marcuses. Hallelujah. So I was here in the Stone Age when they were just making this church. No, it wasn't that long ago. But I'm just saying that there's, there's complexities. And I've watched young people say, well, I think I just don't believe that. I mean, you're being too conservative. Even worse, you're being too political. And you try to help that young person understand that your thinking is so informed by the secular world and not based on the Bible that you can't even be confronted in a classroom. You're so filled with secular ideas that you can't let the Lord guide you in the area of sociology or psychology. Rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Peter 1.20 Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of what? Any private interpretation. I'll show you what that means. If you have an interpretation on a passage of scripture that no one has ever seen since the 4,000 years we've had the Old Testament and the 2,000 years we've seen the New, your interpretation's wrong, period. Nobody's ever seen it, ever. You're the most spiritual person in the world. You're the most brilliant mind. Okay, you need to humble down and learn. If nobody backs the ideas you have, you have to say, what do I know? How long have I lived? 
Has this idea built anything in civilization? Or is, am I just assuming I'm right? It's terrible to assume you're right. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You're saying, God, you show me how to work with people. You show me how to build a life. You show me how to build a family. You show me how to build a ministry. For those of you called to ministry, if you try to operate outside of God's wisdom and your thinking, you will not get far. You get titles, but maybe no one follows you. Ever had a title and no one do anything with it? Like, what are you the leader of? Nothing. <laughs> because you're only a leader if someone follows you. Uh, number three. Tradition. 1 Corinthians 11.2. Now I praise you, brethren, Paul says, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances. That's the prescribed teachings of the apostles as I delivered them unto you. He says in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or epistle. Paul says there are traditions. Some of them came in epistle form. Some of them came in verbal form. So hold to those traditions because they're based in apostolic authority. Second Thessalonians 3, 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly. How do I know if I need to quit hanging out with somebody because they're walking disorderly? Because they're not walking after the tradition which he received of us. If they're not following apostolic understanding, then you say, I just got to distance. Why? Because I don't want to get on a boat to Nineveh with you. Because if you don't get the story, it'd be like, I'm swimming with fishes. You know, what's that old song? I'm Mighty nutritious here. Nobody ever listened to the newsboys. Am I that old? Oh, yeah, you were saying it, Sister Duffy. Let's go. You were saying, what did you hear that when you were five or something? Yeah, I know, I know. All I'm saying is tradition is good when it's based on the Bible. But look at what Jesus says. He says, that they asked Jesus, why did thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders, the religious people of his day? By the way, religious tradition is the hardest to give up. It has to be based on the word of God. And so these are very religious people. They wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of, the, of God? How? How are they transgressing the commandment of God? By your tradition. I wish we had time to deal with that in detail. He goes on to say, and honor not his father and his mother, he shall be free. So he's talking about the practice of Corbin. Let's say Joel's, where are you at, Joel? Where's it? Oh, you're in the back. Never mind. There you are. You got to take care of mom and dad when we get old, just so you know. That's scriptural. And let's just say Joel's got, you know, saved up his money. He's been investing and he's got like, you know, a couple million dollars or something. Here's what he could do. He could go to the local synagogue or the temple and put it on deposit in the temple. He could go withdraw any funds at any time he wanted, but he could look at his mom and dad and say, well, you know, I know what the Bible says about honoring your father and your mother, but I don't have any money. See, my bank account's empty. Well, what about the $2 million? That's Corbin. It's dedicated to the Lord. I don't have any money. And Jesus says, here's Here's what you do. He doesn't honor not his father and his mother. You say he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect. How? By your tradition. Tradition can help people not obey God. Okay. Colossians 2, 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through how? Philosophy, ideas, and vain deception, empty deception, deceit. After what? The tradition of men is how people are deceived and locked away from the revelation of God. I remember I was teaching a, a class at CCS. I remember I was teaching at CCS. I still miss it. And the camera, there was this little girl there. She was from a denominal church. I won't say which kind. And I just teach. And I know she's in the classroom, but I just teach in the Bible is the word of God. And I'm teaching on things like baptism. I'm like, you know, if you go to Acts 2, 8, 10, 19, and, and I'm like, hey, Kathy, read this, and, you know, oh, okay, yeah, and what does it say? Oh, yeah, Jesus' name, yeah, 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 yeah. 
And so I just go, and I'm just layering it in, right, because she doesn't know I'm setting her up. And I am, because I want to show her that the church that she was attending was not biblical. And so I say, do you do know that there are actually some churches that don't even baptize in Jesus' name? She's like, oh. <laughs> so she leaves. She comes back. She's about two weeks later. She comes in and says, Brother Kilman, did you know my church does that? I said, really? She said, yes. I said, so what does that mean? I'll tell you what it meant. When she went to Acts competition, she got baptized in Jesus' name and got the Holy Ghost just a little while after that. Why? Because you got to show them that their tradition is in conflict with the word. And when you show them that tradition is in conflict with the word, then they can take a step of faith. Why? Because their belief can be based on the word of God. That's what you got to do. Sometimes remove tradition. Okay, so Paul says, cast down every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every Every thought, every thought into captivity to Christ. So which here's the number one issue when we get through these lessons. Am I going to trust God or stay with my own ideas? When somebody teaches something that bumps up against something innately in my value system, is it going to be based on the word or is it going to be based on the world? And you have to determine as a Christian, every area and value system in my life must be based on this book. Why? Because I'm not smarter than God. So everything we say about, here's your epistemological stool, right? The Bible, we're going to teach you some things. We're going to have you reason some things. God's going to speak to you by his spirit in these sessions, and you're going to build an understanding of all of life, right? And all of those, not when they're rooted in what Brother Kilman says, when they're rooted in what this book says, that's where you're going to find the most sustainable way forward in life. That's where you're going to find true happiness. That's when you're going to be set free from yourself and the bondage of your own thinking and the limitations of this world to be who God's called us to be. Right. Okay, so I'll do this real fast. Everything we say about anthropology, the doctrine of man. By the way, behind every secular psychology is a secular anthropology. Behind every false idea about counseling starts with the wrong view of man. Philosophy, how do you think? Ethics, how ought we live? What do you say about labor? Who gets to define the family? And all you have to do is pick up a book like Nancy Piercy's great new book that's been out less than a year called The Toxic War against masculinity and she shows you that the bible is right what the bible says is right forsake not the assemblies of yourselves together brother cameron you need to go to church you need to go to church a lot why because the women in america with the happiest marriages the men that are most present with their children in the home the men that have the least amount of domestic violence is conservative men who go to church with their families a lot that's a 20-year study by secularists, and they were staggered by those conclusions. So, ladies, you want to know who to date? It's very simple. Date a guy who goes to church a lot, not a, a guy who talks about church a lot. If he has a faithfulness to church problem, he has an authority problem and a God problem. He doesn't fear the Lord, and he's not going to operate his life underneath the covering of this book. You don't want to try to build a family there. And God brings blessing after blessing after blessing in all these areas. Here's worldviews and conflicts. The truth of claims of God. Versus the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the things you fight. The world, your flesh, and the devil. Don't get that second one crossed. There is something innate on the inside of each one of us that makes us resist the word of God. That's why we crucify the flesh. Why? Because we don't want to live our life by lies and illusion. You know what the definition of insanity is? A disconnection from reality. And there is a lot of insanity in our culture. It's a disconnection from reality because they don't know the way the world works. 
and our world looks chaotic. I mean, the suicide rates, and who's teaching sociology? Who's doing biblical sociology? I don't remember, but one of the teachers are. And they're going to show you the suicide rates and all of the other things. And when you do it God's way, you build strong societies. When you don't, you end up with insanity, a disconnection from reality. This book shows you how to connect the truth and reality. Apostle John says, in this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. I wish we could all be nice, but there are two types of people in the world and only two, John says. There are those that are what he calls the children of God and those that are the children of the devil. You need to figure out who's trying to guide your life. So how does the Apostle John create discernment? He says, in this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. You can have discernment in life. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. If they're not about righteousness and loving people, they're on the other side, right? And then we'll close. I just wish I had time, but I do have time today. So this is where I want to close tonight. I'll let you put that other verse right here, Joel. This is one of my favorite verses, and I, I pray that you young adults will take it seriously. The Apostle Paul is talking to his son in the gospel, Timothy, and he says, and the servant of the Lord must not strive. This is not about winning Twitter battles. This is not about winning arguments online or winning debates. The servant of the Lord must not strive. You're not there to fight to win. I'm not talking about a good exchange of ideas to sharpen one another. He says, but be what? Gentle unto all men. That means even people you disagree with. Apt to what? Teach. Well, that's your job, Brother Coleman. No, no, no. Your job too. Because you have influence with people I don't have influence with. Apt to teach. That's what we're going to teach you how to do. How to explain our beliefs from the Christian view. Patient. Not impatient, right? Patient in meekness, not weakness. Meekness is strength and reserve. Don't bowl people over. It means you should listen probably more than you talk. And then explain well. Ask guiding questions. In meekness, instructing those that what? They oppose themselves. They're trying to have a good life. They're trying to have good marriages. They're trying to have good families. They're just in a cosmic battle, and they've got the wrong ideas operating in their life, and they're opposing themselves. You need to see every other person that doesn't think like the Bible says as a prisoner of war. That's what they are. They're not opponents. They're prisoners of war. I know, I know, Paul talks about the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. I'm not naive, but I think more times, I love the way wonderful Kentucky District Superintendent who we were with Sunday, baby, he said, sometimes we get so caught up in seeing the world as a battlefield instead of a harvest field. And yes, there are people trying to poison the crops, my brother Cameron, but there is a harvest and people are opposing themselves. If God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of what? You've got to get them to acknowledge the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. They're easy prey and they need you to come along with the right ideas to show them how to be blessed. Look at John chapter 8 verses 34 through 47 on your own. God speaking through the apostle John to us shows that there's only two fathers and he shows that there's only two sides and and it's beautiful because if you walk through the passage, Brother Bowman, he shows that the lies that he tries to sell them on are not clever. The issue is, is the lies that he sells us matches the desires of our flesh. How many of you are a human being like me? Raise your hand up like this if you're a human being. Okay, I got a knife. I'll cut you in so you can bleed red. Brother Cameron, you put your hand up. You bleed red, which means you're a human being. And every one of us have to deal with the temptation 
of running our life by our own desires, the desires of the flesh. And the devil's lives are not clever or else people wouldn't be smoking. Does anybody believe smoking's good for you? No, just desires of the flesh. Does anyone actually think that drugs blesses someone's life? No. Then all of these lies match desires. That's where the devil took to us. The lies are not clever. They just appeal to us.